The reading for this morning is, um, I don't think it's particularly inspirational (laughs) or spiritual. It is factual. It's from several, I was doing a little bit of research about Mother's Day, and this is sort of a couple of sentences and quotes from some articles about Mother's Day. Here we go. Flowers or candy, a deluxe spa visit or an American Express gift card, a tablet or a camera. One thing is clear, Americans will spend, probably have spent already, right, right now, more on mom than they have in recent years. They will spend an average $169 on Mother's Day this year, up from 11% last year and nearly $20 billion in total. I know, you're like, where's, where's he going with that reading? So we'll, we'll come to that uh, in just a second. This is the sermon today. I've, there's been, I've been holding a lot as I sat with this sermon today, certainly thinking about where we were two years, two years ago in this state and where we are now poised at this incredible moment, this historic moment as freedom unfolds, as marriage equality becomes, will become a reality in this, in this state. So holding that and some other pieces, and I want to start with the Mother's Day piece and then come back to marriage equality. Mother's Day, if you haven't noticed, has become this massive commercial event. It's not a bad thing. I think it's important to celebrate mothers, and I'm going to spend some time with with my wife, the mother of our son, after the service today. It's a good thing. But there's more to this story than this big commercial event that we know Mother's Day as. There's a, there's a beyond hallmark dimension, beyond those sweet cards, right, of like, Mother's this and that. Those are all important and good, and I'm glad we do that. I am for Father's Day, too. These are important things. But there's a deeper history there that I want to come at this morning. Here's just a piece of that history. In 1870, a Unitarian woman, Julia Ward Howe, issued a Mother's Day proclamation. Her proclamation was an appeal for women around the world to unite in peace and unite for peace. It was Julia Ward Howe's experience of the Civil War and the carnage and the bloodshed of that war that caused her to write this proclamation, this Mother's Day proclamation for peace is what she called it. And I want to share just a piece of this with you. We, she said, we, and she means mothers here, we mothers will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. She's talking about females being empowered, women being empowered to to control their lives and their families. Our husband, she goes on, shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have taught them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country, she says, we women of one country will be too tender to those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. 
Julia Ward Howe was a powerhouse of a woman who believed that women could organize to change the world. She was a fierce anti-slavery activist, and she moved in circles of abolitionists. She was deeply connected to Unitarians and Transcendentalists and both of those movements. She was friends with Theodore Parker, another abolitionist. And following the Civil War, Julia Ward Howe was involved in women's rights and in peace efforts. She hoped that a Mother's Day for Peace might be celebrated every year. The idea spread in the first decade after she introduced it to a couple of different cities. It continued on for a little while, but it was ultimately unsuccessful. It was several decades later when a woman named Anna Jarvis established the Mother's Day that we now celebrate, although, truth be told, Anna did not imagine it to become the commercial event that it now is. So as we sit in this historic moment in Minnesota, and we sit with Mother's Day today, it feels really important to know the deeper story, the rest of the story, the story beyond Hallmark, as it were, something beyond this particular moment. And so it is with marriage equality. As we sit on the edge of marriage equality, it's important to look beyond this moment and the work that we did the last year to understand the backstory. Just as Mother's Day has a backstory, so too does this marriage equality work have a backstory. It's important to know some of that story. When we look back through the decades, we see men and women from this church and from the wider community who came out of the closet again and again and again and again, who came out with courage and love and perseverance, who came out and shared their lives and their hopes and their dreams of equality with us, with their friends and neighbors, with their families, with their fellow citizens. They often came out, they often did this, at considerable personal and professional risk. It's still not easy. When we look back, we see the adults and youth who have been, and in many cases still are being, bullied or threatened because of who they are and who they love. And as we look back, we must also remember those living with AIDS and those who died of AIDS those who were initially scorned and ignored when AIDS was thought to be only a gay disease. There is so much behind this moment. We have built on the shoulders of so many people. There have been advances and setbacks, joys and sorrows, and I really want to thank my friend and colleague and member of this church, Meg Riley, for being in conversation with me as we reflected on what this means today. It was in 1974, a year before I was born, when Alan Speer, a senator here in Minnesota, one of the Minnesota state senators, came out as one of the first openly gay elected officials in the country. Alan served for a long time, decades in the Senate, and he was the critical player in helping to move forward and then pass the 1993 Minnesota Human Rights Act, 
which guaranteed protection from discrimination in education, employment, and housing to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Minnesotans. He worked on that legislation for 20 years, and he called it his proudest legislative accomplishment. His work inspired House Representative Karen Clark, who was the author of the bill that passed the House for same-sex marriage on Thursday. His work, his legacy inspired Karen Clark. Alan Spear didn't live to see that moment on Thursday, to see the vote, 75 to 59, uh, in favor of same-sex marriage on Thursday, but he helped shape it. I've been thinking about the many members of this church who were shapers of this moment. One of them is Deborah Tallon, who for 10 years led Rainbow Families, this organization that stood with GBLT families, that offered them support and advocacy and critical care in their families' lives in the Midwest. I'm thinking of Sharon Bishop and others in this church who helped create a safe space at South High for GBLT teens, made a safe space for them to know they were held and loved. Thinking of John Yoakum, also a member of this church who worked for a decade with the University of Minnesota Youth and AIDS Project as a school and community outreach coordinator. He also served in a number of organizations that sought to help and to meet the needs of the aging gay and lesbian, bisexual and transgender population and community. I know I've forgotten names, I've missed people, I'm only scratching the surface here. And so if you have come into this place with the name or an organization or someone dear to you that is bound up in this moment, let them be fully with you in this space. There are so many others who have helped us arrive at this moment through acts great and small, people who kept saying again and again in their own way, God is love, we are all God's children, all families, all committed relationships matter. We deserve to be treated fairly. On those shoulders, on those shoulders, we stood this past year when we defeated this amendment, the work that they had done. On their shoulders, we stand at this moment in history, poised to become the 12th state to legalize same-sex marriage. There is a story behind this moment, beyond this moment, and we must not forget it. So here's how all of this, here's how Julia Ward Howe in the backstory of Mother's Day and marriage equality in the backstory there, here's how all of that connects into our current sermon, sermon theme called Living in the Promise. Here's how those two pieces loop into Living in the Promise. As I said last week, we're a faith community that gathers around a sacred promise, a promise of how we will be together, how we will be together in that spirit of love as we help and serve one another as we grow into love's people together. What binds us together is a sacred promise about how we want to be, not a unifying set of beliefs. In short, we promise to seek the truth in love 
to seek the truth in love. We say it every Sunday. I think that means that love asks us to tell the whole story, to lift up the various pieces, to look behind the story, to see the larger truth that rests there. To seek the truth in love is a promise to not simplify things. It's a promise to seek out the voices and the stories that are often untold or silenced. It's a promise to recognize the fullness of history and of our own lives. So what does this mean exactly to seek the truth in love? What does it mean for us together, for you and for me in this congregation? Well, it means that for me, my deepening promise to this congregation, to you all, my deepening promise, my promise as a minister is to ask with every sermon I write from this point moving forward to ask, what's the rest of the story? What am I missing? Are there voices I am silencing or ignoring or just don't know about? How is my whiteness, my privilege, preventing me from seeing and hearing and telling other truths? What's the rest of the story? What's the rest of the story behind Mother's Day? What's the rest of the story behind marriage equality? What's the rest of the story? That promise that I am making to you that we might live into together, that promise and that practice feels so important, especially, especially as we move more deeply into our racial justice work. It is critical to name, hold, and understand the reality of people of color, of native people in this country. It is critical to understand the ways that silence and ignorance strengthen racism and systems of oppression. And I will be honest with you, this is a growing edge for me. I am not an expert on this. I can only tell you that I feel called to begin to live into this promise to say, what's the rest of the story? What other voices can inform my understanding here? Let me give you a quick example of what I'm talking about. Just a short, simple, quick example of what I mean. It's a self-critique. It's a loving self-critique. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon right here called Love is the Spirit of This Church. I talked about our religious ancestors who had left England in search of religious freedom. They came to this country. They settled in Dedham, Massachusetts in the 1630s, and they came together and they said, we want to be a church community that lives and operates in that spirit of love. Not a belief that brings us together, but we want to live in that spirit of love together. That's how we want to be. We don't want to all believe the same thing, but come together in that spirit of love. It is a powerful story. It connects us with our past. It speaks to me. It's a way to ground with our religious tradition. But here's what I left out when I shared that story with all of you. I said nothing about how the land our religious ancestors came to was inhabited by native people. I said nothing about the ongoing displacement and destruction of native peoples beginning then and continuing through the present day. This is not about political correctness. This is not about that at all. It is about telling the truth in love. I only needed a sentence or two in that sermon to remind all of us that the land was occupied. There were people there and had been there for some time. Just a sentence would have been enough. 
Another example, closer to home and very relevant to this moment we're in right now. Another example. When we talk about Minnesota being such a progressive place, and it is, look at what's happening around marriage equality. We need to qualify that by saying it is a pretty progressive place for white people. Not so much if you're a person of color. We're not nearly as progressive as we think we are. When you look at the educational disparities and the employment disparities and the incarceration disparities along lines of race, we are not nearly as progressive as we think we are. What I know is true is that in naming that reality, in naming that, in seeking the truth, the whole truth, the big picture truth, in seeking the truth in love, we begin to understand those issues and get clearer about what our religious response might be. So that's my promise to you. When I write sermons, I will ask, I'll have a little thing on my computer and next to me that says, what's the rest of the story? What am I not seeing? Where is race in all of this? And I also promise you, I will miss things. I will have some of you come out and talk to me in the receiving line. You'll be like, Justin, you really didn't. You, like, there's a huge thing here about Minnesota history and native peoples. You missed it. Or there's this other thing, you missed it. So we will be gentle and loving with each other. <laughs> we will be gentle and loving with each other as we seek the truth in love. That's part of the learning. That's part of the learning. And these are not just my questions either. These can be your questions. What's the rest of the story? What am I missing? Where is race in this? Those can be our questions. So I've given you a lot this morning. Julia Ward Howe and Mother's Day, marriage equality, some reflections on race. And I hope you haven't lost track of the larger point that I'm trying to make this morning, and that is this. When we start to promise one another that we will ask these questions about the rest of the story, that we will ask, what voices are we not hearing from? What's missing here? When we start to ask those questions, then we are liberated from the simple, easy story. When we start to faithfully ask those questions as we seek the truth and love, then we can move beyond the commercialization of Mother's Day to see something different and deeper. When we start to ask those questions, we can move beyond the simple story that says, thanks to the hard work of people just this last year, we're now going to have marriage equality in Minnesota. When we start to ask those questions, we can move through the denial in our culture that says racism doesn't exist. We may not change things overnight, but when we know ourselves to be held by a love that does not tire, then we can take the long view, knowing that our faithful questions and faithful efforts can and will and do make a difference. May it be so, and amen.